You're listening to Moms No Expert Podcast. On this podcast, we'll be going on a journey together and learn how to be the best moms we can be. I'm your host, Irmari. Hola, hola. Hi, guys. Welcome to another episode of Moms No Expert Podcast. This week, I have a super special guest, Michelle LaBelle, and we have an awesome conversation about growing up in the Puerto Rican community and just being a openly bisexual woman in the in the Puerto Rican community and also being a stepmom and helping, you know, your stepchild become their true self. So it's a really, really awesome conversation that I have with them and I'm super excited to share with you guys. But with that, before that, I do have my As a Mom, I felt that. And this week is you're not defined by your past. You're prepared by your past. And later on, when you guys listen to the episode, you're gonna kind of understand how this um kind of connects to the interview, but also as you guys heard me weeks and weeks, you know, I've had a lot of trauma and a lot of things happened. And I think that that past prepare me to be, you know, this mom who I am today, this understanding and trying to change and the narrative of being a mom that I don't have to be like this hardcore person and I can be open. So I'm pretty excited uh, for this week and I hope you guys enjoy this week's episode. And without further ado, here is my interview with Michelle LaBelle. Welcome to our podcast, Miss Michelle LaBelle. Um, so I want to, so when my sister talked to me about you, so she told me you are a stepmom and and she told me a lot. And and one thing that I like is that you're Puerto Rican because obviously I'm Puerto Rican, so I love yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> you know. You know. And she told me you're an activist, so I love that. So I want to talk a little bit about everything. And one thing that, um, so like that me and my sister always talk about is like our upbringing and how, like being who we are now, it's kind of like that. It doesn't correlate to how we were brought up, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So how was that experience for you? Because I know, like for me, when I was growing up, it was like, you can't like girls or you can't, um, I don't know, you can't do this, you can't do that. So it's like, how is it for you, basically? For me, I I feel like it, it was very uh, unique is the word I'm going to use because my family is very, very religious. My grandfather is a rabbi. I have like three uncles that are also rabbis or that like, you know, preach and, and all of that stuff. And my mother grew up in a very religious family. So like her whole life was school, home, church, taking care of her brothers and sisters because she's one of 11. Whereas I'm an only child and because she had that very intense experience of being really like hardcore in that church life, she wanted to give me the opportunity to sort of choose for myself if that was a path that I wanted to follow or not. And um, so when I came out to her that I was bisexual, um, I was 18 years old and I wanted to introduce her to my girlfriend and I also had a boyfriend. I was like polyamorous before I even knew what polyamory was. Before um, you knew what it was, yeah. Yeah, I was just like, this just makes sense to me. This feels right. Um, and so 
I was I was really nervous to tell her because um, I was afraid that she was going to be, you know, like biphobic because I remember we were watching like a Lifetime movie and the char- the main character came out as a lesbian. And I remember my mom saying like, oh, I don't know what I would do if my child came out as a lesbian. And I was like standing right behind her when she was sitting on the couch and said that. And so it made me really scared to, to tell her anything um, because I didn't know how she would react. So when I told her, I was already living out of the house. I was already at 18. I moved out right away. I had my own place. I was working. I was going to school and supporting myself. And uh, so I wasn't worried about getting kicked out of the house because I already had my own house, you know. Um, <laughs> but I, so I told her, I was like, mom, I, I have to tell you something. And she's like, are you pregnant? And I was like, no, I'm not pregnant. And she's like, what is it? And I was like, I'm bisexual and I have a girlfriend and a boyfriend. And she was like, I mean, I already knew. And I was like, hold on. What? <laughs> what do you mean you already knew? And she was like, well, I saw how you would look at your like little friends when you would bring them over for sleepovers. And I was just like, why you didn't say nothing? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> she was like, well, you had to figure it out for yourself. Like, I didn't want to say anything because like, I don't know if you what you were, you know, thinking or whatever. And I was like, okay. And then I was like, wait a second. So you're telling me you knew this whole time but you let me have sleepovers with other girls and like we slept in the same bed and we would like take showers together and like you never said nothing and she's like but me i wasn't trying to be a cock block and i was just like shook (laughs) (laughs) i was shook i was i was just like i didn't know how to feel about my feelings because it caught me off guard and she seemed really cool about it and when i when i was younger she definitely was cool about it and then i there was a point as i got older into like my like late 20s early 30s where she like moved back in with my grandparents to take care of, to take care of them um as their health started deteriorating as they got older and uh and she kind of went back into the really like kind of hardcore church life And she started saying things to me like, oh, like, you know that I love you and I don't judge you, but I don't approve of your lifestyle and this and that. And I was just like, wait, what? Because this used to be cool. Why is it not cool anymore? So that was that was a challenging thing to navigate. And I remember there was a period of time for about maybe almost a year where her and I didn't talk. Because I had, uh, I was like living my best polyamorous life. I had like two girlfriends and I had like somewhere between three to five boyfriends. I don't remember. Maybe I was dating a couple. I don't know. It was a lot of people at the time. Um, and and there was <laughs> one of my girlfriends that I was like really serious about. And my mom would only ever ask me about my male partners. She would never ask me about my girlfriends. And so she would be like, oh, and how's, you know, this guy and how's this guy? And I'm like, they're fine. My girlfriend is doing really good, too. You know, like you could ask about her and she would say again, like, oh, you know, I don't approve of your lifestyle and this and that. And I would be like, 
you say you're not judging me, but saying that in and of itself is a judgment. You are. Like you are mm-hmm. judging me, you know? And um, and if you're going to be judging me in this way, then I'm just not going to talk to you. I'm just going to cut you off. And, and because like I'm a grown ass woman and I'm not going to tolerate being disrespected. Like I don't care, you know? And so I didn't talk to her for like a year. And then eventually she got back in touch with me and was like, you know, I'm sorry and I'm going to therapy. And, you know, I realized that, you know, that was not the best way to, to, you know, talk to you and, and all that stuff. And, you know, she like the going to therapy, she recognized a lot of like toxic behaviors that she was sort of perpetuating that run in my family. And um, because I'm not the only queer person in my family, I'm just the most outwardly queer person in my family. I'm very, like, very much bucking against the traditions and the norms and the religion and everything, like, because I'm trying to live my best life and I'm not going to allow anybody to tell me, you know, how, what that should be. So, um, and I, and it's, and it's, seeing in my family that, you know, I've had, I've have cousins of mine that are queer that are still in the closet or didn't come out of the closet till they were in their thirties. You know, I have a cousin who went through, um, you know, come, she, she came out and then she went back in and then she came out and then she went back in and she's like she tried to like pray the gay away and she went through that whole thing but then she also like tried to take her life multiple times she was committed like her you know like it was i i saw the way that being in the closet impacted my cousins like cuz i have over like 30 cousins and i'm not even exaggerating like i'm dead ass serious i because every one of my aunts and uncles has <laughs> That's puerto rican it's so puerto rican is puerto rican as fuck like every <laughs> single one of my aunts and uncles they all have kids and they all have multiple kids i think i'm the only only child of my cousins of like the the first generation of cousins but we're all so a lot of us are there's like tiers of age range and there's a lot there's there's like several in my tier and and younger than me and and a lot a lot of them are queer and um and there's some that are still in the closet that still don't want to say anything and it makes me really sad because you know it's not fair and it's because of the religion and it's because of the judgment, you know, and, and the, 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 the fear of being ostracized from the family. And, you know, there's, there's, uh, and there's the classic like chisme of like, I remember one of my aunts, mm-hmm. like, I don't, I'm not going to send my kids to hang out with this prima anymore because she's a lesbian and I don't want them exposed to that. Like exposed to what exactly? Mm-hmm. To to people who love each other, yeah. like you know what I mean. And there's the you know the you know the talking behind people's backs. And I remember, um, I was on a reality show once. <laughs> I've actually been on. I've That's done several cool. reality things, but I just it was just one episode where. 
it, there was a show called Brooke Knows Best. So it was a spinoff from Hogan Knows Best. So Hulk Hogan had a reality show with his family. Oh. And then his daughter Brooke Hogan got her own show when she moved out she moved to South Beach and it was following her life of like leaving the nest and what that was like for her and they did an episode called I Kissed a Girl and uh, it was basically she was tired of dating guys this is like the classic straight girl thing she was tired of dating guys and she's she's like She tells her her roommate, who's also her best gay friend, like, oh, I'm so tired of guys. Like, you're so lucky, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, well, why don't you date girls? And she's like, oh, because I'm straight. And he's like, well, have you ever tried it? And she's like, well, no. And he's like, well, then how do you know? She's like, okay, well, I'll go on a date with a girl. If you go out on a date with a girl and if our other roommate goes out on a date with a girl and they were all like, okay. So I wound up going on the date with her roommate, Ashley, um, who's Cuban, Puerto Rican. And, uh, and at the end of the episode, like when I, when we go back to, you know, her apartment, we kiss and my family saw it and they were like, and my mom called me and she was like, Mira, you got to tell me when you do things like this, because now all your tias are calling me and asking me, why is Michelle on TV kissing a girl and this and that? And and, and I don't want to deal with this headache because I feel like even if she was OK with it, she still had to deal with the other people in my family that were not OK with it coming at her. Like, mm-hmm. look at your daughter. Look what doing. You know, exactly. You know, mira, está por ahí, realenga, tirándose por la cuneta, whatever. I don't know. Um, and I was like, yeah, I yeah whatever her, they say. Yeah, or whatever they say. And I told her, I was like, listen, the next time that one of my aunts or uncles or whoever comes at you, you direct them to me and I will talk directly to them. I don't need you to speak for me. I'll speak for myself. And if they have an issue, I'm happy to address it. But like I am who I am, and 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 the thing that I learned from my grandparents was unconditional love, you know. And like in the church, they preach about unconditional love. So like, where is it, mm-hmm. you know? So that was What's like on my mind. Exactly. I think. Yeah. I, I was, I was so- gonna say I think like growing up, like I think Hispanics are very judgmental. Like I've 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 felt that. Like I oh look I have some of those. Um, <laughs> Um, I'm sorry, very, so very hungry. judgmental. <laughs> okay. Um, and yeah, like it, it it's so like even like I had kind of like the same like double change. Like when I got pregnant, oh my god, everybody was like, oh, She's only 22. I was like, I'm paying all my bills, I have my own apartment, I have my own like what are you talking about? But it was kind of like that, like everybody was like, oh, How dare she? And I'm like and and so um, on my father's side, my my biological father's side, um, because I I grew up with a stepdad and like he didn't care. He was like the he was he was so chill about so many things <laughs> in so many different ways um, to really balance out all of the ways in which he wasn't chill and was kind of a shitty human, um, which you know I can as an adult now appreciate. Um, but my biological father. When I was about 11 years old, he asked me, he's like, you're a Ricky Martin fan, right? 
And I'm like, yeah, I was like big into Ricky Martin because it was like the Latin explosion and like J-Lo and Mark Anthony and Enrique Iglesias and Ricky Martin. They were all popping off and like doing awesome shit. And I was a big Ricky Martin fan. He was cute. I was into it. And and I was like, yeah, why? And he goes, is, is he gay? Mind you, I'm like 11, 12 years old. I'm not sure why this is an appropriate question to ask <laughs> an 11, 12 year old. I mean, like, I always got like, I'm so mature for my age because I was an only child. So I was always around adults. So I spoke like an adult, even though I, I'm a kid, you know? And um, so my dad a lot of times talked to me like an adult, even though I was a kid and put a lot of emotional labor on me, even though I was a kid. Like, I believe the term is parentification, which you're like really not supposed to do, especially when you're divorced, but it happened. And I was just like, I, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure he has a girlfriend because at the time he had a beard, um, as we call the, you know, a, a woman that marries a gay guy so that he could, you know, present himself as straight to the public so that he doesn't get ostracized from the community and ruin his career. Um, but I was like, he has a girlfriend. And my dad goes, oh, he must be bisexuals then. Those are the worst because they spread disease. That was what my dad said to me, an 11-year-old, about bisexuals. Wow. So I never, never wanted to come out to him. And it wasn't until... I'm like, I don't even know if I ever officially came out to him now that I think about it. If I ever like sat down and was like, hey, I'm bisexual. Like, I don't even know if I've ever like trying to remember if I've ever have. I think that he found out about my bisexuality like through other people. Um, but I don't even think I ever officially came out to him. Or I think when I cut him off, I I told him, I brought it up and I told him like, you said this to me and I was 11 years old and you said this about bisexuals and I'm bisexual. And he was like, oh, well, if I had known that, I wouldn't have said that to you. And I was just like, but it shouldn't have mattered. You shouldn't have said it anyway. Like regardless, you know, like mm -hmm. that's that's such a, a, a biphobic misconception that's that's you know, perpetuated um, hatred and, and abuse towards bisexual people and, you know, creates all these negative stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, you know, him and also my, my dad grew up very religious. He was, he grew up Pentecostal, which is like Puerto oh. Ricans and Pentecostal is like, oh, people think that like <laughs> Georgia Baptists, they think that Southern Baptists are hardcore they don't know nothing about Puerto Rican <laughs> Pentecostals. They have no idea how fucking yeah, hard Yeah, my dad is Pentecostal too. Oh, so you already know. You already know. They're mm -hmm. so hardcore. And my, my, they are like, my dad was kind of like, you have to honor your mother and your father because if not, God will punish you. Like, you have to do this. And like, my dad was very much like the hellfire and brimstone and like, God is going to punish you type of person. Like, put he would put that out towards me. Mm -hmm. And he was more pushy about like, you know, believing in God and religion and stuff in that kind of a way. Um, and my, I have a half brother. We have the same father, but different mothers, and we're exactly twenty years apart. And he, I, when I remember when I was a kid, he was amazing to me when I was a child. But then when I became an adult, he also he found out from one of his ex wives about that episode 
when uh, I kissed that girl and he called me and he was like, so what's this I hear about you kissing a girl on television? And I did not want to come out to him because I didn't want to deal with it. And I was like, that was just for TV. That was acting. I got paid to do that. It's not real. Like, I don't like girls. I'm straight. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I lied to him. I fully lied to him because I just didn't want to deal with it, you know? And then I, and, and this was mm-hmm. at the time I was living in Miami when I had this conversation with him. I remember I was like, I think I was maybe like 26 years old at the time. And I remember one day he randomly called me and he was like, I have a question for you. And I'm like, what? And he goes, so I have this gay friend and he says I'm homophobic, but I'm not afraid of, and he used, you know, the F slur. I'm not afraid of them. I just hate them. So what's a more accurate word that I could use? And I was like, is this really what you called me for? And he's like, yeah, you're a homo lover. I thought you would know. And I was like, I'm I I don't have an answer to this question. Like I'm 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 not going to entertain this conversation with you. Like I'm just not doing it. And our our relationship became so contentious at that point. He actually because also at that period of my life I was an atheist. I was like hardcore almost militant level atheist. I was just so anti-religion, anti-god, anti-everything. Um, because of, you know, when you grow up seeing the negative impact that it has not only on your life, but the lives of other people, because you're queer and you're all of these things and the way that, you know, the church, Mm -hmm. the synagogue abandons you, you know, because of, of who you love. Um, then like, of course you're going to push back. And, uh, he, he found out that I was an atheist and he, I guess, figured out that I was queer or whatever. And he called me one day and I didn't answer and he left me a voicemail and he was threatening to, he was like, I got people in Miami. I got my boys in Miami. I'll send somebody by to spray your house. I kept that voicemail for a long time on my phone. I didn't delete it. And I kept it because I was like, if something ever happens to me, this is evidence. You know what I mean? Like, that's real. That's real talk. That's real talk. And it's not. And and, and it it, it didn't end. You know, like I, I cut both him and my father just completely out of my life. I haven't spoken to either one of them in like, like maybe five years. Cause my, I have a nephew from, from my half brother who is also queer and he's just like me. He came out just like me. He even looks like me. And um, he, he was talking about how his dad had called him and threatened his life. And like, that's your son. Like, okay, I'm your half sister, but like you're calling your son and you're like threatening his yeah. life. Like, why? Like, what kind of father are you yeah, trying like to Like your be? blood. Yeah. Like this is your progeny, bro. Like, what are you even doing? And um, and so my my nephew had messaged me about it and he made a post on Facebook about like my dad's threatening to like cut, drive over here and you know kill me and whatever. Cause my nephew lives in Las Vegas and um, and my brother isn't allowed to drive in Las Vegas. <laughs> That's a whole other story. <laughs> so I, I commented, I'm like, you know, he's 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 really all bark and no bite. And he has, you know, severe mental health issues and trauma that he's not dealt with that he needs therapy for. And that's real talk. Like that's we're being honest. Like that's just that's not a judgment. 
That's just real talk. And because he has trauma from my dad, he has trauma from his mom, he has trauma from one of his uncles, you know, he 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 was abused. He's had a lot of things happen to him in his life that he's not reconciled and not gone to therapy before doesn't believe in therapy. Oh, and, and you know, taking prescription drugs or anything mm-hmm. like that doesn't believe in any of that. I'm like, yeah, but you did coke in the 80s, bro. Like, what are you saying? I know that you smoke weed. I know you did blow. (laughs) Like, don't even try to front, you know, like I know you did steroids in the 90s when you were trying to be a bodybuilder and live that life. Like, but you can't take Prozac for your depression. (laughs) You can't get on some Lamictal for that bipolar disorder you got going on, bro. Okay. Okay. Um, And I said that. (laughs) I get a phone call from my dad and he's like, um oh, your brother told me that you said this about him on Facebook. And I'm not friends with my dad or my brother on Facebook. So how did they know that? How did they see that? They were stalking me. There was, I realized that my brother had people like friends of his following me on because there was there was a time on Facebook when you could follow somebody without being their friend and see just their public posts. So he had people following me. And like, I guess reporting back to him shit I was doing because like I would get these random like I got I remember one time I was on jury duty. I'm literally sitting in a courthouse and I have a voice from my brother like being like, oh, you're talking all this shit about me, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to fuck you up. And I'm like, I'm literally in a courthouse getting a death threat. Like, this is crazy. And so like he says um he's like oh your brother said that you said this about him and i'm like yeah and my brother also called me a perverted faggot so like i'm sorry i don't talk to him but like what i said was true and what you know and it's what he said to me was not okay and i'm not gonna tolerate disrespect like that like do you think that's okay that he called your daughter a perverted faggot and he was like well it's true i was like what what are you serious and then i i went up i was like this is why we don't have the relationship that you fantasize that we could have because he would always say to me oh i see these movies with fathers and daughters and they have this beautiful relationship and i asked god why don't i have that and why is my daughter such a terrible daughter and all of this stuff and i'm just like This is why we don't have the relationship because he's literally threatened my life with death. He's called me all of these names and you still take his side, even though all he does is talk shit about you to me. Whenever him and I are on good terms, all he does is talk shit about my dad to me and tell me how awful my dad is. So it's like, Y'all need to like get together, get your story straight, figure it out, like get some therapy, like really find Jesus because you think you know Jesus, but you obviously don't if this is how you're coming at me. (laughs) You don't know. Like clearly get in touch with your ancestors. I don't know, like reconcile that trauma that y'all have because I'm not going to tolerate this. I am not sentimental about biological relationships. I am not sentimental about blood. I'm not sentimental about any of that because if being blood related to you does not entitle me to more respect and more dignity and to better treatment than the way that you treat everybody on the street, then it means nothing. I mean, if it means nothing to you, it means nothing to me, period. You know, I told him that and that was the last time mm-hmm. I talked to my dad and I completely yep. cut both of them off. I blocked them, you know, and he had, and then like, maybe like two years ago, this woman contacted me on Facebook and was like, hey, I'm a friend of your father's and he just wants to get back in touch with you. And, and 
you know, he's sorry. He just wants you to teach him like what he did wrong and this and that. And I was like, listen, listen, homegirl, I appreciate you. I see what you're trying to do. I know that um, he sold you a sob story and he tried to make it sound like he's this poor, lonely old man. And, you know, that's just desperate to get, you know, reconciled with his daughter. But the reason we don't have a relationship is because of him, because of the way he is. He knows why. And I'm not here to teach him nothing. He needs to teach himself. He needs to educate himself. He claimed to be a guidance counselor. He claimed to be a marriage therapist. But yet he won't get therapy for himself. He won't take care of his own issues and his unresolved trauma from the abuse that he experienced from his parents. That made him leave the house at 16 mm-hmm. and join the army. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm not I'm not here to be your therapist. I'm not here to do that emotional labor for you. You a grown-ass adult man. You got decades on me. You can get it together on your own. And it's not that I don't believe mm-hmm. in supporting my parents. Because with my mom, it's very different. I was very supportive of her going to therapy. I was very supportive of reconciling with her after that period of time when I didn't talk to her. Because... I know that she's a reasonable person, you know, and and I could work with her and I could have conversations with her and she would be open to at least listening to me and hearing me out and and never disrespecting me in that way that he did, you know. And and so, oh, I was going to say, you know, I think that for me it really made me sort of I I got to a point in my life and and in the, my own therapy that I went through where I recognized where I had where I had put my expectations uh, on my parents and 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 sort of failing to recognize like their own humanity and the fact that like they are just people that happened to have a kid and didn't necessarily have their shit together when it when it happened you know because also like i was conceived through sexual assault so there's that layer on top of it and because of religion my mom was forced to marry my father and be with him and she, she for as long as she could handle it which was until I was two was when she left him, you know, Um, because like nobody wants to live with their rapist, (laughs) you know, and I would ask my dad about it and he would give me these really vague answers. Like I remember I went to the VA with him once and I saw the, I saw his file was open and the marriage license was out. And I was like, I saw it was like March something 1986. And I was like, but I was born in May of 1986. And I was like, how come you and my mom got married like two months before my birthday? Like y'all weren't married when, before I was conceived. And he went, mija, esa nena, esa pregunta no se hace. We don't ask those questions. That's what he said. We don't, we don't ask those questions. He was like, shh. He literally went, shh. I remember, I remember clear as day standing in that office and him going, shh, esa pregunta no se hace. And I was like, what? I was so confused. And I, I would ask, how did you and mom meet? Like, did you fall in love? Like, because, you know, as a child, you want to understand how you came into existence. At least I did. I felt like, you know, I, I, I've always been a very mm-hmm. existential person. So like, what made y'all want to have a kid? What made you bring me into this world? 
And, you know, I had the fantasy in my mind that, you know, they met somewhere and they fell in love and went on dates and, and, you know, there was a proposal and a wedding and a thing and then let's have a kid and then me. I, you know, that's the, the, the heteronormative Hollywood fantasy that we get sold about what it means to, you know, be a parent, to be a child, to, to come into this world. That's like the ideal situation, you know, and I never got an answer on that. And then, you know, finally I asked my mom and when I was like 14, she told me, she's like, well, this is what happened. And I was like, what, you know, and, and it was really challenging to deal with at the time, you know, um, but it's like, you know, you can't, you can't keep the truth from your kids forever. And they're going to find out eventually they're going to ask and keep asking mm-hmm. and keep asking and asking everybody because nobody in my family would tell me anything either. And they would be like, well, you know, your dad was like, he was a mujeriego and whatever. He was like, <laughs> un chulo. but they would never like just come out and say anything to me, you know, and I knew nobody liked my dad, but I didn't know why. I just thought they were being shitty because oh, nobody God. would tell me anything. And then I found <laughs> out and then everything made sense. And then it's like, wait. Why am I pressed about having a relationship with you anyway when you're a fucking trash ass human being? Like, and my stepdad, even though he mm-hmm. was a flawed person, because he got drafted into Vietnam when he was 16 years old and he came back with like severe PTSD and he dealt with alcoholism and, you know, he like smoked cigarettes all the time. And he was, you know, um, abusive with my mom on occasion um and they argued a lot so I grew up in that kind of environment but with me he was he was like you know he taught me how to change a tire how to change the oil on a car you know he he taught me to defend myself he was like you know don't love don't ever let nobody put their hands on you you know uh when I was you know 15 16 he was like and I, and I had my first boyfriend, he was like, listen, don't tell your mom I'm telling you this. But if you and your boyfriend, you want to start having sex, just let me know. I'll get you birth control. I did it for, you know, my oldest daughter. I'll do it for you. Like, I want you to be safe. I want you to be protected. If you get pregnant, don't think that you have to marry him just because you got pregnant with him. Like he was about, there were so many things that he was really amazing about. And he really raised me more than my dad ever did. You know, he really raised me and he he was as good as a father as he could be given the circumstances of his life and the trauma that he went through and experienced. And through therapy, I really, uh, be got to a place where I could appreciate and understand the humanity of my parents and, you know, really not take that for granted that they have trauma and they have these issues and, you know, they need therapy. And, and it made me sort of lower my expectations. And I know that sounds bad when you're like lowering your expectations, but I think in a, in a good way, you know, of like recognizing their own limitations mm-hmm. and meeting them where they are at and just trying to be compassionate and empathetic to their struggles and, and the emotional intelligence level that they have. 
Yeah, because I think we put like when we have like when we have our parents, we have like this hero mentality. We're like, oh, there are heroes, but we don't realize. Like I, I'm with you in that sense. Like I realize, like I was actually talking about this with my cousin. Where like our our parents' generation had so much trauma that they didn't deal with, and then now like we took all that in, and now we are dealing with like. Mm-hmm. years and like generational trauma that we oh, yeah. had nothing to do with like at all but we are oh. dealing with it because we don't want to pass that on and and we had and that's like we have like this hero mentality like I was like I've I've always said like oh my god my dad was great and then now that I'm an adult and I sit down I'm like oh he was shitty like what the heck like you know but yeah, because we, I, I mean, I had this hero mentality. I always say, like, I thought my dad was the tallest man ever. And now I see him, I'm like, you are short. Like, but that's that mentality where you you think they're so great and they're so grand. Right. And they you don't idealize meet that them. Ever. Well, not ever, but they don't really meet that expectation. <laughs> because they're, they're just human beings. They're just flawed human beings. They're just as flawed as we are, you know? If not more so, because like you said, their generation didn't deal with trauma, especially in like Puerto Rican, Hispanic, Latino families. They don't believe in therapy. They don't believe in getting, you know, like medicinal support Mm -hmm. or anything like that. It's not no say I say you you got problems. You go to church and you pray through those problems. You ask God for help. But God forbid you go to a therapist, you know, like Mm -hmm. and and like where would we all be? Exactly. And like, what, where would we all be if they had gone to therapy, you know, and had dealt with all of their issues? Because, you know, where would we be right now as, as people? But, you know, here we are, and all we can do is heal ourselves. And by healing ourselves, we vicariously, you know, heal them and, 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 and all of those that, that came before us. But for me personally, you know, I, I've always known that I never wanted to have biological children. Um, I feel like I have a big enough family and they mm-hmm. all really covered that base in terms of like propagating our genetics. <laughs> Everybody else got that covered. All of my cousins now that are my age all got their own kids and their kids got kids. And, you know, so like, I don't, I don't, I don't feel it. It's not like we're dying out or something and I need to like preserve, you know, our lineage. That's <laughs> definitely not the case here. Um, but also the idea of like physically birthing a child just absolutely terrifies me. And I have so much respect for people that, that <laughs> yeah, the people that like carry a child and then like birth it. Like I could never, ever do that. And I have so much incredible respect for people that can. And I'm very much like, let the let the people that want to have children have children and leave the rest of us alone. Because, you know, every mom needs that friend that doesn't have kids that she can escape with and 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 have, you know, girl time with and 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 have that be the kooky aunt that, you know, here's my kid and and go hang out with them for the day and I'm going to go, you know, do my own thing. Like every mom, every mom needs that person. And I'm happy to be that person. And I also have always felt like (laughs) there are so many children in this world that don't have parents that don't have a mom and dad 
why why mm-hmm. am I going to bring another child into this world when there are so many abandoned children in this world? I would rather be a mother to those children than bring my own child into this world, you know? Um, and that's just how I, I feel. Um, and, and, and I feel like as I've gotten older and, and, and have become an educator and, and have gotten into activism and stuff, I recognize that my life purpose is not to have children, is not to be a mother to my own child. It's to be a mother to all of those who are motherless. That is my, my purpose in this life. And, you know, and it's very, I I didn't realize how queer of a concept that was. And people are going to be like, what is she talking about? And it's like, if you've ever watched the show Pose, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about. You know, it's, it's, you know, somebody who struggled with their own parents, who understands the love and the and the and the you know support and the nurturing that they needed that they didn't get and like how can i give that to somebody else who didn't get that and you know so in in many mm-hmm. ways you know i'm like house of labelle you know i'm here taking in these kids that that <laughs> you know, need this love and the support and i'm happy to do it and um like with my current uh partner he has a son who I met when he was 10 and he is now 15 years old. And I have watched this little boy, just this little, little nugget grow up into this teenager. And it's, it's a trip. It's such a trip because like, I, I remember, you know, when he was 10 years old, all he cared about was like Minecraft and, and, you know, like cool science <laughs> things and stuff. And now, you know, he's gotten to the age where, he's, he's, you know, relationships are becoming more complex and friendships are becoming more complex and, and, you know, being attracted to people and navigating attraction. And, um, he mm-hmm. came to visit, uh, over the summer and he stayed with us for, uh, I want to say he was with us for like a whole month. He stayed, he stayed over here cause he lives with mm-hmm. his mom in Rhode Island. And, um, And it was such a interesting experience because it was my first time sort of living with someone else's child and really taking on that mom role. Um, And I don't like to say stepmom because Mm -hmm. that to me is very, I, all I ever think of is like Cinderella and like the evil stepmother and stepsisters. Um, I like (laughs) bonus mom. I like that one a lot better because I feel like it has a more positive sound to it. I like bonus mom. You're just like, it's like you got an extra prize. You know what I mean? Like, congratulations. Look what you won. A bonus mom. Um, so for me, like that's, that's the phrase I prefer. (laughs) Um, and also like to me, stepmom sounds like, you know, like, like, a a woman who's secretly a witch and she's going to eat your kids. I don't know. Like, I just, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not into that as a phrase. I'm like, let's, let's evolve the language that we use to talk about, you know, um, unconventional families or different types of families and um, blended families, if you will. And while he was here, um, he came out to us as bisexual 
and I cried, uh, tears of joy. And I immediately went and found one of my little bisexual flags that I had laying around. And I was like, here you go. Officially you get one. And, um, he had come, he told me that he had came out to his mother and that his mother cried, but in a bad way. And she was like, she, she did not have a positive response. And it made me really sad because he is such an amazing kid. He is a, a million times smarter than anybody gives him credit for. And I saw it from the first day that I met him. I knew. And I was like, this kid is a, a, a special, amazing kid. And he's so loving. And he's so brilliant. And he's so empathetic. And just like incredibly mindful for a child. And, um, you know, I, I told him, I was like, listen, I know what it's like to come out to your parents and them not be supportive of it. I know how that can make you feel. I like, just know, like, I'm also bisexual and I'm here to support you if you have any questions about guys, if you have any questions about girls, if you have any questions about anybody in between, like I'm here for you. I love you. I support you. Um, you know, and, and, and I, I have no judgment whatsoever of you in any capacity. Like you're still, you know, you're still calling to me. Yeah. Well, because like, you know, I said to him what I wish would have been said to me. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's what that's 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 what you do. Like, you know, that's that's the way to 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 be. I feel like a parent to me, a parent is unconditional love and allowing your kids, giving them the safe space to be who they're going to be, you know, teach them how to survive, teach them how to navigate this world and give them the room to be who they're going to be, not who you want them to be or who you think they should be, but whoever, whatever it is that they're going to be, just give them that space to do that because that's what, mm-hmm. that's what they need. That's what I feel kids need. That's what I needed that yeah, I didn't Because when we start putting limitations is when they start doing, yeah. doing things wrong. Yeah, exactly. You know, because it's like, that that's the rebellion. My mom was super overprotective of me when I was growing up. I didn't really understand why until I got older, but I hated it. And what did I do? I would sneak out of the house at night and go hang out with my friend in the park. We would go walk to the local park and we weren't even doing anything. I wasn't smoking. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't hooking up with guys or nothing. We would literally just sit there and talk shit and like hang out. And like, that was it because I didn't have the space to do that in you know waking hours because she was so like no stay home do your homework clean the house and and I'm just like I just want to be a teenager and have a normal teenage life like why can't I have that I just you know I didn't I didn't understand um and um because it was because I was kidnapped when I was two um two or three I got kidnapped and my mom didn't have me for a year and I think after having that experience of losing me for a year, she never wanted to oh, wow. lose me again. 
And I think like the trauma of that experience turned her into this like uber helicopter parent with me. So, and I, you know, yeah. And then she, you know, she'd been through her own trauma and it's that like, I don't want my kids to go through what I went through, but there's certain things in life that you, you don't have control over. You just don't. And, and you want to be there and protect your kid 24-7, but you can't be, unfortunately. And life is going to happen to your kid. Mm-hmm. And all you can do is, you know, be there for them and support them and help them heal, you know, and and um, and do your best to, to, you know, help them learn from the mistakes that they make and help them grow um, free from judgment. Because, like... They're, they're kids. They're kids at the end of the day, you know? And um, you just hope that you can give them the right tools so they can go. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot, but I like, I like hearing that like bonus mom. So my mom, my mom, my daughter, sorry, she has a a bonus mom and it's kind of like she's very she's very open with her and I like it because I mean I'm super open with her but I like it because she gets two basically moms that are open and talk to her and she can feel free to have these conversations you know and she doesn't she doesn't have to hide you know like oh I'm with my mom a certain way and with my dad a, a, a different way like she's she's open to be whoever she wants to be like we're very open which I like. And I think that's awesome. And I think that's a really beautiful thing when, you know, the bio mom and the bonus mom can like get along and sort of co-parent in a way, because I feel like, I feel like if it was me and my kid, why wouldn't I be open to the idea of another person loving my kid and supporting my kid and being there for them when I can't be there for them? You know what I mean? Like, that's a beautiful thing. That's the whole, like the concept of like, it takes a village to raise a child. Like this is another member of the village (laughs) that's helping to raise the child. Like why not be open-minded to that? Cause I had to navigate in the, in the very beginning, I had to navigate his mother being really, like, salty with me for, like, literally no reason. Like, she she doesn't even really know me. She's met me one time in person, and I saw her, and I it was his birthday. He wanted me to be there. It was his 10th birthday because I met him when he was 9 going on 10. And um, so I showed up to his birthday. Uh, and I, I, I was introduced to her and I said, hi, nice to meet you. And I put out my hand to shake her hand and she just looked at me and was like, hi. And like rolled her eyes and walked away from me and was like super rude about it. And I was just like, why? Porque? Why? For what? What did I ever do to you? Like, why? I don't even know you. Hmm. I've never even spoken to you. I've never disrespected you. Like, why is this necessary to be this way with me? Because I'm the new woman in your ex's life when y'all were done ages ago, you know? And the thing that I will give my mom credit for is that my mom is the most opposite of any Latina stereotype that you've ever heard. My mom doesn't have a jealous bone in her body. She's not a possessive person. She's not controlling. She's not like, you know that stereotype that a lot of uh gets pushed on a lot of latino women i remember um 
so my my stepdad or my bonus dad, uh, he had a daughter from his a previous marriage, and um, and she lived with us at one point, and she would come or like later on she would come visit us, and her mom would sometimes come, and we would all hang out together. And I remember my biological father being like, "Ay, tu mamá está en cahueta, que she, you know she, <laughs> she lets she lets him bring his ex over because that's another thing. It's un escándalo, you know, if you have the ex over with your new wife there, and it's just like, and it was funny because I had never thought about it. I was just like, that's her mom, and she's here, and so her mom is here, and that's her dad, and like, why, wh- where is there an issue? And it's sort of, again, the culture yeah, you just think it's normal. that perpetuates this idea that, like, women have to be pitted against each other, you know, when it's just so unnecessary. And I remember being like, huh. And I was like, hey, mom, do, do you ever get jealous when, you know, like, his ex-wife comes over? Or, like, you're okay with them hanging out and stuff? And she was like, yeah. Like, that's, that is the mother of his child. I'm not going to get in the way of that. What, what happened between them is between them. has nothing to do with me. She's never disrespected me. She's never been rude to me. So I have no reason to not like her, to have any feelings about her, you know? Um, And, and like, and, and I know what I have with him. And I, I'm confident and I and I trust him and I know what I am and I know what I'm bringing to the table. And she's an ex for a reason. So, like, yeah, it's fine with me. Like, I'm not pressed. My mom was like, my mom is such a G in that way. And I and that's, that's one of the things that I, Yeah, that's one of the things that I really loved and, and respected about her was that she was never jealous and she was never, like, petty and salty like that. And so because I never saw her be that way, I never learned to be that way. And so when I see other, like I have this other woman being like that to me, I'm like, you don't realize the incredible opportunity that you are missing by being this way with me. Because we could very easily be friends. We could absolutely be friends because we have this little boy in common now. And we could we can parent this kid together. We can support each other, you know, and and, in supporting this kid. But instead of choosing to let's stop, collaborate and listen, let's work as a team. You want to be petty and salty and 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 be standoffish with me. And you don't even know me, you know, and like Mm -hmm. I'm an intelligent woman. I'm a college educated woman. I'm an educator. You know what I mean? I'm employed. I'm independent. I'm, I'm a strong woman. I'm a feminist. I'm a great example of a woman to this kid. And I can give him such great advice. And I can help him through so many things, especially because I'm a woman of color. And my partner's Filipino. So his son is half Filipino and half white. His mom is white. So she can't relate to him on his brownness the way that I can. She can't talk to him about the racism that he has experienced and will continue to experience as he gets older Mm -hmm. and becomes more exposed to it the way that I can. You know what I mean? She doesn't know what it's like to be called a spick and to deal with racism. I do. You know what I mean? So when it comes 
time when he runs into the situation exactly. where he's the brownest kid in the room and somebody has a problem with it, he can he can't talk to her about that because what does she know? She's you know she's got mm-hmm. cis mm-hmm. white woman privilege, but he can come to me and talk to me about that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like I'm I I see mm-hmm. myself as like you know I look at it like a like a football team. You know what I mean? Like I'm such an incredible valuable asset on this team. To 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 be that way doesn't make sense, and it's only to the to to the detriment of the relationship with this amazing kid. You know. And and I and I I love him. I miss him. You know, like we had him here for a month and he was gone. And I was like, man, I miss that little fucker. You know, because like he's 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 such a unique personality, and and he's so into a lot of the things that I'm into, and we have so many things to talk about. And he'll talk to me about things that he won't talk to his dad about, that he won't talk to his mom about, because he feels safe with me to do that because he knows I'm not going to judge him. He knows I'm not going to be like the strict parent and you can't do this and you can't do that. I'm going to be like, okay, I see what you're saying. I see what you're going for. But like maybe consider this instead. Maybe think about this approach. Maybe recognize this is not the best way to handle the situation. And even though his mom had been salty with me, I even tell him, be nice to your mom. You know what I mean? So like... I that's because that's how my mom raised me was like, I don't I don't need somebody to be nice to me for me to be nice to them. Because ultimately, how they treat me is their karma. And how I treat them is mine. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm very much like lead by example. And 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 eventually, she has warmed up to me. And even though she doesn't necessarily, like, talk to me or anything, she hasn't, like, ever reached out and called me and, like, hey, let's be homegirls. But, you know, like, recently she said some kind words about me, caught me way off guard. I was like, who is this on the phone? She had been drinking, so maybe that's why I don't know. But, you know, white women and their white wine. Um, Maybe. I don't know. She would, you know, people get sentimental, and she's like, "Oh yeah, and your beautiful girlfriend." And I was like, "What? She's talking about me?" I was shook. I was like, "I can't believe this." But um, like, but it's been me? really interesting. It's been, right? It's been a really interesting experience in being his bonus mom and 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 connecting with the mother within. And, and the mama bear that's very much inside of me. And I, I think, like, you don't have to, like, birth a child to be a mama bear. Um, I think that it's it's more of, a, of a, a state of mind and a way of being and a way of loving and, and nurturing and protecting. You know, I think we can all agree on that. Um, and I, you know, I, I started to really recognize that in myself. And I understand, even though I, I have this very intimate understanding that like, you know, I don't want my, to birth my own kids cause I don't want to be responsible for another human. And like, my dog is like the highest stakes that I can go in terms of caring for another living creature. Like that's as, that's as high as I want to go is my dog. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to go above that Um, (laughs) in terms of like something small and and baby that can't take care of itself. Um, But like, I, I really enjoy being that like parental figure to him. 
Yeah, and I um so I wanted to ask you before like we finish. Um so I want to ask you about what you do for a living cuz I should ask you this before we started going deep in conversation. <laughs> sure. So what cuz you're an educator, so I want my listeners to know and then they can follow you and follow your journey. Absolutely. Uh so I by trade uh am a sex positive sex educator. I uh, was doing it for like a solid five years and then COVID happened and I lost my job where I was working. I was working at like, uh, like a high end adult novelty boutique. That's actually where I met your sister, um, and, um, was working there. And that was sort of where I had the platform to teach classes and to do outreach, uh, in that way and um etc and then when covid happened everything shut down i lost my job and situations with you know the owner uh unfortunately refused to rehire me because he thought i was trying to unionize the staff um which i wasn't but whatever um i just wanted emergency paid leave because you know like i felt like that was a reasonable thing to ask for and so did everybody else um but uh, so I, I'm now just more like doing private consulting in terms of like as far as being a sex educator because going through that experience kind of caused me some trauma because I felt very discarded, you know, like it's sort of the classic thing of, you know, like a cis white man utilizing women of color to like build up, you know, their their credibility and their clout. And then I'm done with you and I don't need you anymore. And I throw you away. Um, and then that was, was, you know, really mm -hmm. hard for me to go through. And then also when the pandemic happened, it made me, it, it made me have to sit alone with myself and my thoughts and sort of recognize that I had a lot of trauma from working in that job at that store that I had it processed and so then I, I had to really kind of go dig deep into therapy for that and be like, what is what is really my calling? Like, is this my calling? Is this something that I want to continue doing? Should I keep trying to do it? Like, I'm doing the same things as other educators that I see who are white mm -hmm. and not seeing the same results and the same success and the same ability to branch out and really establish my own sort of business. And like, I, I don't know how to do that on my own. So I felt really lost for a while. Um, and then I uh, decided to become a professional mermaid. So that's the that's a pursuit that I have undertaken. Um, because I thought to myself, okay, so like, I'm a grown ass adult woman, and I don't want to work survival jobs anymore, even though I'm currently working a survival job as a shift manager for a cannabis delivery company. <laughs> um, but I was like, I want to make an empowered choice in my life. And I want to choose my career. And I studied theater education. So I feel like being a professional mermaid, you know, you're playing this character and that's theater. And then you're teaching people about ocean conservation and water safety and, you know, animal rights, uh, marine life, animal rights and stuff. And that's education. And I'm like, this just, it just came together for me. And it's something that 
I love swimming. I love being in the water. I grew up in Puerto Rico, island surrounded by water. I was like literally walking distance from the beach, you know, and I live in California. I moved from there to Miami, more beach from there to California, more beach. Like that's kind of my thing. <laughs> water. So I just, yeah, the water. I like being next to the water. So it just made sense to sort of pursue uh, this career as a professional mermaid. Um, and that's what I'm doing. So <laughs> I actually was recently uh, in August, I got certified. So I am a certified card carrying mermaid uh, by the Professional Association of Diving Instructors. I'm very proud of that. It was an amazing experience. That's so that, cool. Yeah. And it, it it really taught me like how amazing my own body is and the things that I'm capable of doing that I didn't know that I could do. Like, how am I 35 years old? And I didn't know that I could hold my breath for two minutes and 30 seconds. Like, whoa, you know, and, and, and dive for 25 feet and be in water with other sea creatures and stuff and not be like freaked out about it. Like I thought I was going to be, you know, so like I kind of impressed myself and, and got to know myself in another way. And so I'm in this space of sort of like reinvention um, of, of, of who I am and, and what I'm trying to do with my life. And so part of the way that my activism and my educator uh, comes into play is I'm a part of an association called Mermaid at Any Age. And it's about bringing um, diversity and visibility to the mermaid community because Typically, you know, the the mermaid community that you see online is very much like, you know, pretty white girls, pretty young white girls, thin, living their mermaid fantasy. And that's great. And that's valid. But they're not the only ones. You know, there are queer people, there are, you know, people of size, and black and every color on the spectrum and, and all over the world, and, and every age, who enjoy being a mermaid and mm -hmm. like living that fantasy. And so, you know, uh, just trying to bring uh, education about that to the community is the way that like my activism is, is sort of shifted and, and, and transformed into this angle. And I've, I've shifted into, you know, um, not only being visible as like a queer woman of color and as someone who's neurodivergent, but then also, I've shifted my focus into like animal rights and being really passionate about, you know, um, marine life and captivity, like whales and dolphins and, um, you know, things like that. So that's kind of the direction that my life took very unexpectedly because I thought I was going to be a sex educator. I was going to work in that store forever. I thought that was my calling. That's what I was. I was born to do this because it, it did feel I did feel very strongly about it in the way that I was able to help people, you know, learn better ways to love themselves and to love each other. And, and, and also, you know, being in touch with the queer community and the kink community and, and being able to, you know, um, help that part of my community and that part of, of my identity, which is very much invisible to a lot of people you know, it was a way for me to, to connect with them by teaching them things that no one else was going to teach them, you know, and, um, and that was very fulfilling. And I, I know my purpose in this life is to be an educator and a storyteller and to teach people. And I feel like 
that's also being a mom. Being a mom is being a storyteller. Mm -hmm. Being a mom is being an educator. You know, being a mom is being an activist because you have to, you know, in some capacity, try to work to make a better world for your child to grow up in. You know, when you can or where you can, you have to fight. You have to fight for a better world for your kid. It's so important. And so that's how, you know, things in my life have sort of shifted for me very unexpectedly. Like if you had told me five years ago, you're going to be a professional mermaid, you're going to be certified, you're going to be doing this with your life. I would have not (laughs) believed it. I would have been like, you're, what are you smoking? Can I get some? Um, Like, that's wild. Uh, So... (laughs) But that's that's what I'm I'm doing now is sort of pursuing this more creative avenue and um, using my muggle job, as I call it, as sort of this is how I fund, you know, the mermaid career. I have a day job so that I can buy mermaid tails and tops and and, you know, take more classes to, to, to become an advanced mermaid and, you know, live at a place with a swimming pool so I can train. Like I take this very seriously, <laughs> so so that's that's what I'm that's doing. Awesome. Thanks. I'm just trying <laughs> to like live my dreams so that's that all awesome. of this and I love talking to you. Thank you. I'm just trying to like set an example for the rest of my family for for the queer kids in my family that don't want to just like you know do the typical thing. Like you, you can follow your dream. You can move to California, even though it's far away from your family. You can do whatever you in your heart want to do and not let anybody stop you or stand in your way or tell you otherwise. I appreciate you taking time to talk to me. I know it's, we had like scheduling issues. I'm sorry, but I appreciate you coming into my podcast. I'm like you, I have a muggle job and then that funds my podcast because I love doing this. (laughs) so I appreciate you and I hope I can have you again so thank you so so much and keep your boricua and then make sure that make sure that my sister stays true to her boricuaness (laughs) she came over the day the other day and she brought me mezcla for like sandwich de mezcla she she messaged me and she's like mira how Sandwich de mezcla, you make it with like this, this, and this, right? And I was like, yeah, some people use this instead, or you can do that. You use mayo. And she's like, I'm not going to use the mayo. I'm going to do like this. And then she brought me a jar of it, and I ate it, and it was delicious. Yeah, we're we're planning on having like a Puerto Rican cooking day. I'm so proud of her. I know. I I talked to her. I told her I'm going to go over there and visit her. Do it. I'll make mofongo. It'll be amazing. Hopefully, I I meet you guys. (laughs) <laughs> when I go up there. <laughs> Dale. Well, have a good well, it's good night for me, but have a good day. Right? Because it's you. what, like five? Seven? Uh over here. Yeah. It's <laughs> well, have a good day. <laughs> Thank you for joining me this week on Mom's No Expert Podcast. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at Mom's No Expert Podcast and share the show with your friends. Don't forget to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode.